Tell the sheriff I shot him. Who? Tell him it's, he's still on the loose. Is this some kind of joke? I've been trick-or-treated to death tonight. You don't know what death is. Welcome back to the fourth and final episode of Movie Matchup The Pretension, celebrating Spooktober. Uh, as always, my name is Troy, and with me is my very, very, very good friend and co-host, Brad Anderson. How are you doing tonight, Brad? I'm doing well. Happy Halloween to you, sir. Almost. One more day. We're recording on October 30th on a Sunday. Um, have you had a lot of, uh, I don't know, Halloween parties and stuff like that this weekend? Uh, just last night, I uh, had a little gathering that I went to, so, um, yeah, it was, uh, pretty fun, um, as you might guess, I was, uh, Vincent Vega, and the person I went with was, uh, Mia Wallace, so it turned out pretty well. So awesome. I, I was very happy with it. We, we attended our Halloween party last night, and both me and the wife went as, a uh, mad scientist, a doctor, nurse kind of thing. Yeah, v- your very kids, gory, so. your kids, uh, kids there? Uh, no, we got a babysitter for them, uh, so... They uh, they will be trick or treating tomorrow. Um, Got to tell you though, it's been a rough afternoon because uh, we did get a little crazy last night. And uh, if I sound a little different, it's called a, hang- a hangover. I think is the technical term. That is scientific. Yeah. Yes, and uh, took the kids on a corn maze this afternoon. And of all the people who got lost, it was me, hungover. So um, uh, I'm out of it. Obviously, made it back in time to record the episode. And, uh, I, man, this is kind of sad because I've had a lot of fun this month with all the movies we've, we've covered. And, and I don't know about you, Brad, but most of the movies I tried to watch this month, even outside of what we did for the show, was um, horror movies. Is that something that you do yeah, as well? Yeah, I, I actually I, – I caught myself watching a lot of horror movies, especially the past uh, two weeks. And um, I watched all of the paranormal activities uh, to lead up to the uh, new one, and um, I really, really enjoyed the, the newest one. and. I watched a lot of the Halloween series, and some of those films in the later part are really pretty rough, but, <laughs> uh, you know, you get through them. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm usually not a big Halloween fan, but I do love horror movies, so I think that's what I like about um, Halloween itself is actually just the the films involved. Yeah, Friday night, we had a bunch of neighborhood friends over, and we had a uh, British sort of scary movie night. And got to watch uh, Attack the Block. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and American Werewolf in London. And, uh, man, Attack the Block really lived up to the hype. I mean, I've, I've heard so many people talk about that film. Bloody Good Horror covered it. And um, it just seemed like the more and more you heard about it, you kind of I kind of walked in going, well, it just can't be as, as good as what everybody's saying. And, and surprisingly, it was very good. I mean, it was it's one of the better movies I've seen this year. Nice. Yeah, I've, I've heard nothing but praise for that film, so... Yeah, last Tuesday was a little difficult when it came to uh, buying uh, things on DVD or in Blu-ray. Oh, my goodness. Rare Export, Attack the Block, um, Captain America, and Shaolin. Those are my purchases. 
Um, I would, well, the Pro Jam documentary came out on Tuesday, and I also got the uh, Jurassic Park trilogy. I'm holding off on that one. Yeah. I, I'll be right. But, hey, we're t- let's talk about Halloween for a second. I'm curious about this, Brad. Um, I got to know. Now, you've had many, many years of celebrating Halloween, and I've got two questions for you, and I'll, I'll share my picks too. But the first question is, what was your favorite Halloween costume you had? And, and I mean, even as a kid or as an adult, what, what was your most fond Halloween costume memory? Ooh, um, I went as Gene Simmons one year. That was pretty cool. Gene Simmons? Yeah. yeah like, I went, how old were you? I was like 10 years old. Like I have, I have older brothers. So uh-huh. I was into kiss growing up a little bit. Um, and one year I wanted to be Gene Simmons and I went all out. So it was awesome. I was 10 year old Gene Simmons. That, well, how did you do the tongue thing? I, I didn't. I didn't do this. Well, back then, you know, I wasn't really uh, – that wasn't what I was into. It was the face paint and all that stuff. So, yeah, I got hooked up and face paint turned out well. And, yeah, it was uh, – I look back at that and I'm like, wow, that was really awesome. That's you know, because cool. every other year I was like, you know, a vampire or Jason. You know, you wear the overalls and wear the mask and stuff. Right. Yeah, my, my favorite costume is um, when I think it was Star Wars came out uh, and I had gotten the Luke Skywalker as the X-Wing pilot costume. So you have the orange jumpsuit with the painted on like, uh, I don't know, controls or whatever and the little plastic Luke Skywalker mask that you would put on. Um, I was in love with that costume. The only problem was that the night I was supposed to go trick-or-treating, there were bad storms, so I didn't go get, didn't get to go out and just ended up wearing the costume like around the house for a couple of days. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I, I caught myself, you know, wearing costumes when I was little just around here and there just for fun. Okay, so, so then the other question to that then, and I'm really curious about this, what has been, I don't know, not scariest, but like what – What's the worst Halloween costume you've ever had to do? Uh, I had to dress up as a girl one year. <laughs> okay, okay, elaborate. Now, this, uh, was, this wasn't just – this is for Halloween, right? Yeah, yeah. I, was, for a job no, was, I call it a Tuesday night. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> no, I just – I got talked into it. Uh, when you join a fraternity, sometimes you don't have a whole lot of choice in what you get to dress up as. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I don't look very good in a dress. So, so it was just a plain – there was no theme to it, just any girl? Yeah, you just basically had to wear a dress and all that stuff, so. Uh, blonde, brunette, redhead? Well, yeah, I had a, a nice uh, brunette wig, and um, I had to wear makeup and a whole nine yards. Wow, bra? So, um, yes, because they had to stuff it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, uh, I've got a similar story to that. Um, in our neighborhood – Every year we have a big Halloween party. One is for the kids, and then the next night is for the adults. And um, one year, uh, my wife and the next door neighbor's wife thought it would be funny if, uh, as a couple, the four of us went to this party um, as the Spice Girls. (laughs) (laughs) So that year I had to go as Scary Spice. And Scary Spice is the... Which one was she? Well, the the fro. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Okay. I was gonna say the minority, but yes. 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 Um. Okay. So I had I had to put the fro on. I had like a leopard bra, uh, heeled. Oh God. I've, it was the first and only time I've ever walked in heels, and it'll be the last time. I'll tell you right now. 
But they hurt um, your calves, don't they? Like, oh my god, it was horrible. But the worst of it was, um, and I don't know why. So I had this this leopard bra, and I mean, it was, it was outrageous. And um, they were stuffing socks in it, and I I didn't like having socks in that because I mean, when you squeezed them, it didn't feel like real. Boobs. Didn't feel like a bag of sand. Yeah, well, not even a bag. Of sand, but so I was, I was experimenting, putting things in what would feel, you know, to myself like if I squeeze them, what would it? And I could not find anything. So finally, I went to Sam's Club and I bought like that huge, I don't know, seven, eight pound bag of gummy bears, and I took <laughs> Ziploc bags, two of them, filled them up with gummy bears, and I put that in the bra, and it felt exactly like boobies when you squeeze them. So as I'm going around drinking, and uh, I, I'm at, you know. At this party, and I'm I'm a little tipsy. Of course, you kind of get the munchies, and I'm walking around with two Ziploc bags stuffed in my bra of gummy bears. So I started eating them out of the right one. Well, by the end of the night, my left was was a little larger than my right one. But uh, man, I just I hate it. I I don't know what it is about it, you know, fraternities or wives or girlfriends wanting to see <laughs> other guys dressed dressed up as women for Halloween. It's horrible. It is, it is, and you know, like, I've we had some people who are uh, weren't necessarily the smallest people in the world, and seeing them in a dress um, was a scary, scary thing. So. Yeah, and the and I'm with you on the heels thing. I don't I don't know how girls do it. It's just yeah. ridiculous. Um. Well, hey, enough about costumes. What are What are we gonna talk about tonight, Brad? It's just you and I. We thought we'd celebrate Halloween a little bit more intimately. No, no guests this week. Um, but we've got two two very unique and special films on the plate. What what are we talking about? Uh, tonight we're going to talk about all about uh, big franchises with sequels. Um, so we're going to talk about uh, Halloween Two, um, the original Halloween series from 1981. We're going to do the sequel to that, and we're doing um, Ringu Two uh, from 1999, I believe, out of uh, Japan. So two series with uh, sequels. Um, so we're going to look at, look into that, do those. Yeah, well, we'll, uh, I'm real curious. I mean, obviously we're not going to just talk about these films, but we'll address the franchises as a whole. Um, but I'm really curious about your thoughts in general when it comes to sequels and, um, respectively how you think that these two films either helped or hindered that franchise in particular. And when we're done with that, um, I think we're going to spend a little bit of time on feedback uh, we may also let the listeners know what we've got lined up um, after Spooktober. Uh, I think we came up with something pretty special for the next four or five shows. Um, but uh, you know what? It's it's October 30th, one yes. more day to Halloween. Yes, we did. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm ready to talk about some scary movies again. How about you? I am. Let's get it over. All right. Well, we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, um, you which one do you want to do first? Uh, let's go with Halloween 2. Okay, we're going to do Halloween 2 from 1981, directed by Rick Rosenthal. So stay tuned. If you're enjoying this podcast, perhaps you'd be interested in GleeCast. You watch your tone, young lady. Hey, we're not forcing you to download the Internet's best, or at least most booze-filled podcast about Glee. You want to be me. Who doesn't, Sue? But we know we can't be. Instead, Erica and Emily. Uh, Emily and Erica. Who am I? I just don't know anymore. I'd love to stay in chat, but I got a satellite interview. Sorry, we get off topic a lot. The point is, listen to GleeCast following every new episode of Glee. Plus, our sporadic bonus content on some of the greatest bad cinema that incorporates musical theater or sweet dance moves going to ask you to smell your armpits the right or the left that's the smell of failure 
Failure smells like Dove. Mine has a pleasant lady speedstick scent. Kind of makes me think of candy canes. Your resentment is delicious. Visit gleecast.potomatic.com or search for us in the iTunes store. That's Gleecast with a K, part of the palaver.com family. That's P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Boy, the only thing missing from this place is a couple dozen bodies limed and rotting in shallow graves under the floorboards. We're working on that. All right. It is time to discuss what is probably one of the biggest horror franchises in the history of cinema. I would you would you I don't know, agree with that statement, Brad? I would. I think uh I think because the original Halloween was such a landmark for horror films, I think that just set the bar for the rest of the series and um you know how, how the sequel plays on that is, you know, picking up right where the first one left off. And, you know, this, the series does, uh, you know, come back with Jamie Lee Curtis later on. And, but, you know, I, I always kind of figured this series as like a two film series to me, to be honest. Um, what do you, what do you mean by that? I, I honestly, I don't really like much after the first two. Oh, okay. So, I mean, um, Halloween three, which, I mean, that's the odd one. That really has nothing to do with the Michael Myers mythos. Um, and it has that annoying song in it. The dun, 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 dun. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what, what did you think of that one? I mean, obviously, at that point, you know, uh, Carpenter and everybody else associated with Halloween kind of wanted, yeah, wanted to get a – well, they were, you know, behind the scenes. They sort of wanted to make Halloween at that point into a yearly franchise but deal with different stories. Um, what were your thoughts on Halloween 3? You know, I'm not – I'm trying – is that the uh, season of the witch? Yes, the mask. The kids put on the mask and they yeah, watch that yeah. Silver um, Shamrock commercial. and. Yeah, I mean it's not terrible, but, you know, there's no there's no shape in it really. I mean there's not the Michael Myers shape. So um, – because I know – was it Halloween 4 is subtitled The Return of Michael Myers? Yep, and that was the introduction of um, Daniel Harris who would yeah. uh, be pretty prominent in the series from then on. Which, you know, thankfully, you know, we get to meet her now. <laughs> yes. She grew up to be a very uh, attractive young female. So. She is uh, had a chance to meet her in Lexington this summer, and she was the sweetest person I've ever met. I mean, I, Daniel Harris is fantastic. Um, but then i got to ask you this. So outside of the regular franchise, you know, 456, H2O, whatever. So we get to the Rob Zombie. Yeah, we get to the Rob Zombie stuff. With Halloween, sort of his reboot, and then Halloween Two. What do you what do you feel about those? I actually really um, enjoy the first Halloween, the 2007 uh, Rob Zombie version. I, I actually really really like that one a lot. I kind of like it, you know, the first part of it being more psychological about uh, young Michael Myers. Um, the second one is a train wreck. It is an absolute train wreck. It is it is almost unwatchable to. You know, and I, as much as I will defend the first one, I, there's there's no defending that that second film. That second film is terrible. Really, I believe um, so. I, you know, the the series is kind of interesting because I'm with you that I think the the first Halloween obviously was a game changer. Um, the second one was a bit of a game changer in the simple fact that it picks up right where the first one left off, and tried to stay true to maybe the formula. Um, Halloween three, I, I kind of enjoy just because of its oddity, um, four, five, six. I, I mean, I, 
this this is one of those series that if they put a Halloween movie out, I'm always going to go see it. Um, whereas, you know, like the Saw films, I think I, I never really saw any of the Saw films after the third one. I just had no which, interest in it. Which makes you smarter than everyone else because after three, they're pretty terrible. Really? Yeah, and see, I mean, I don't know what it is about this franchise. I mean, uh, a lot of people will always compare Halloween to Friday the 13th. And, you know, to me, Friday the 13th, I'll, you know, is a hit or miss. I'm, I'm not going to rush right out and uh, immediately see it on opening weekend. But for Halloween... I've always, always been there opening weekend, really enjoyed it. Even the Rob Zombie stuff, you know, um, I kind of liked the first Rob Zombie film. The second one, it was a sort of WTF moment when I saw it in the theater. And then I bought that director's cut because I wanted to hear Rob Zombie's audio commentary. I was more interested in that than the movie because I wanted to hear his thoughts on what he ended up filming. And I got to say, the director's cut really added some clarity, much needed clarity to, to that film. Um, and I, uh, oh, I, I have a quick question on that. I have yeah. always read that uh, uh, Scout Taylor or Laurie Strout was actually supposed to be the killer in those movies. Like the second one, she's supposed to like take on – like there's that scene where she's actually wearing the mask at the very end. And mm-hmm. I guess the, the studio kind of took over that film and didn't want her to be the villain. So Oh, it's, it's a tr- – that – it's a sad story, really, because when you look at what Rob Zombie went into on the second one in terms of budget and time schedule and all of that got cut and um, the studio really came in and messed with it. I mean, you can see that that movie is extremely flawed, but I don't know if it's flawed as a result of what Rob Zombie was doing or it was flawed as a result of the studio didn't like what Rob Zombie was doing and really tried to derail him at every section. I, yeah. I really, I think in Halloween 2, there's some good things in it. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you this, um, Gray from the Dark Hours, there's a Dark, Dark Hours podcast, if you guys listen to that. Um, he just recently talked about Halloween 2, Rob Zombie's version, when he also talked about the prequel for The Thing. And uh, he has some very good points on there. And if you if you want some other insight on, on Rob Zombie and that franchise, i definitely check out that podcast. But... I think if you go back and revisit that director's cut, you'll you'll find some things in there that are quite interesting. And I'd really encourage you to listen to the uh, audio commentary because um, the the stories sort of behind the scene are just as fascinating. Yeah, like I, I want to like Rob Zombie because he's a big horror fan at first. Like he, you know, he's a movie guy. Right. And you always want to root for those directors who you obviously know have a love and a passion. Uh, Halloween Two lost me uh, with the dream sequence. Like if you take a twenty five minute dream sequence. And right. open a film, and everything happens is like doesn't have any consequence because it's a dream. I mean, that's not how I would have started a movie. And it and it very much ma- models the movie that we're going to talk about right now, Halloween Two, in terms of that whole hospital chase. Yeah, yeah. Well, let, let's get into Halloween Two from 1981. Obviously directed by Rick Rosenthal, starring Jamie Lee Curtis, Donald Pleasance, and Lance Guest, Mister Last Starfighter himself, is Jimmy. Um. Quick little synopsis, picking up precisely where its predecessor left off. Halloween 2 follows the same ill-fated characters as they encounter the knife-wielding maniac they left for dead in the first Halloween. It seems the inhuman Michael Myers is still very much alive and out for more revenge as he stalks the deserted halls of the hospital where his sister lays waiting. As he gets closer to his terrified target, Dr. Loomis discovers the chilling mystery behind the crazed psychopath's savage actions. Written by horror masters John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, Halloween 2 is a spine-tingling dark ride into the scariest night of the year. All right, Brad, let's start with you. What what did you think about 
Halloween 2 from 1981? Um, you know, uh, I think it's very interesting that it literally you watch the first uh, five to ten minutes and it's actually footage you've already seen from the last. Um, it kind of you know gives you like a recap a little bit of like the last ten minutes of Halloween. Well, didn't they and, reshoot some of that footage too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, I guess um, we never see – do we see Michael Myers – Body. Yeah, I guess he does fall out the window at the end. Of yeah, the but you get you get the perspective of Michael Myers being shot. You know, before it was um, in Halloween, uh, Loomis is shooting Michael Myers, and you're in that room and you watch him fall over the balcony. And the second one, the camera is now outside of the home, yeah, yeah. and you're seeing Michael Myers, which you know, unfortunately, he in the first movie he flips over the balcony. In this one, apparently, they built some kind of stage or something to where he's walking. He just basically walks off of it and falls down. Yeah, that, that I noticed that. Like, he basically goes up on top of the, the railing and then falls off. Right. Which is fine. You know, which is fine. Whatever. I mean, um, you know, I, I, I enjoy this movie. Um, I think this is one of those movies where the first one is such a classic, and they kind of tried to stay – too true to the formula of what made the first one successful that this one feels kind of like a, a retread a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's as terrifying. I don't think there's those moments where you see Michael Myers like sit up and you're like, Oh shit. You know, like there's not a, the, there's none of those. I don't know. This one feels like a, like an homage to what they did at the first one instead of like its own movie in a way. Yeah. I, I mean, if you watch these two back to back, um, it does feel like almost one coherent film. And I don't know. I, I guess I have some questions for you because Halloween 2 is a mixed bag for me. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad they decided to set it the way they did and pick up moments after Michael Myers, you know, um, falls off the balcony. And uh, I, I've, I've always loved Donald Pleasance as that Sam Lewis character. Or Sam Loomis. I mean, he's he's fantastic, and I'm I'm yeah, glad they yeah. they stick with him, chasing him down, and obviously, you know, this guy going after Jamie Lee Curtis. But I have a couple of questions for you. In the first Halloween, there really is no mention of that sister relationship. I mean, Michael Myers, for all intent and purpose, in the first Halloween, is the boogeyman. You know, he goes back to his hometown and picks on a group of teenagers. And um, is going to kill them. And then by the end of the film, you find out, okay, this this guy's unstoppable. And there's really not much rhyme or reason to what he does. Uh, it's it's very well known that, you know, John Carpenter and especially Deborah Hill really didn't make a lot of money off of the first Halloween. So they did Halloween 2. And Carpenter didn't want to direct the second one. But they did Halloween 2 just to collect on the money that they should have gotten from the success of the first Halloween. Um, and even while they were shooting Halloween 2 and they came up with this um, sister idea, um, about that time the television rights were sold to NBC for like $4 million to show Halloween. And to fill the two-hour time slot, Carpenter filmed 12 minutes of additional material during the production of Halloween 2 so that they could use that in a television, television version of Halloween. But Halloween 2 does something extremely specific in that it gives Michael Myers a motivation what do you think about this particular iconic horror figure having a motivation of he's just out to kill his sister? Uh, I mean, my, my main problem with that is it, it kind of humanizes him um, quite a bit. Uh-huh. Um, 
it kind of takes him from being the shape and turns him into Michael Myers, the evil brother. Right. Um, I, you know, they had to, I, I think they had to do some kind of twist. Um, you know, um, they did the, like the, the star Wars kind of their twins and their brother and sister. And, Oh my God, I kissed my sister. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it bothers me a little bit, uh, that they, not that it's like there in the film, the way that they execute the explanation of it. It's like a very bit, you know, it's just like this whole expository dump in a car real quick. Like, Oh, there's something we didn't tell you, you know. Oh yeah, you should you should have seen this file. It's so unfair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's like, you know, that that I think that bothers me more than anything that it was just like half-assed explained in a way. Like they're just like, oh, he's got this file and no one's ever seen it, and they're sisters, and that's why he's going crazy. Um, you know, it gave, it, it does like humanizing a bit for me, but. That doesn't bother me as much as like like I said like the the explanation of it, right? Well, and I mean I'm with you on that. When when you kind of turn this character to be a bit more rational, and I'm, don't get me wrong, there's nothing rational about you know you wanting to go kill your sister <laughs> or something of that nature. But when you apply a reason to what he's doing, it almost feels like it it won't necessarily affect you. I mean, the minute you come across Laurie Strode and you find out that all of these people are dying around her, you don't hang out with that bitch. You, know? no. <laughs> you stay away from her um, and you're going to be okay. Whereas it, it felt like in the first Halloween, um, Michael Myers could go after you, you know, for no reason whatsoever in that he was the boogeyman. And in the second one, it's just the people associated with this one individual. And if you yeah. have to get in the way, I mean, yeah, you were, you were dust. You know, and it makes it hard to believe that like, somebody who is a human with like siblings can basically eat bullets. You know, it's like that, that it it becomes harder to put your disbelief um, that this is like a supernatural character or whatever. Right. Well, what do you think now? How, how long ago was it that you've seen the first Halloween or did, cause I, what I did on this one was I went back and watched, uh, Halloween, the first one on Blu-ray with the John Carpenter, Deborah Hill, and Jamie Lee Curtis commentary, and then right after that, I put in Halloween too. How ago uh, was it that you saw Halloween? I I, I kind of did the same. I just watched the regular. I mean, I didn't listen to any commentary or anything like that. Um, but I did watch uh, Halloween recently, like within the week, and then I watched uh, Halloween two uh, the other night. And uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, they feel like one giant long movie. Um, right. But did you notice this about the first one revisiting it? And I never really picked up on, on it that much until, well, hearing, you know, John Carpenter specifically talk about this, but there's not a lot of violence in the first Halloween on screen violence. I mean, things happen and there are a couple of, um, shocking moments, but there's nothing really gruesome or gory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's all it's it's like that implied uh, violence. Um, there's there's yeah yeah I I, I noticed that as well that it, it was a little bit jarring because I always thought of this film is like the first slasher film. Yeah, but it, really it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't feel like a slasher film at all. It it really feels like a I don't you know 
not Hitchcockian thriller or something, but I, I can see why a lot of people would relate it to Psycho in terms of its presentation, that it's shocking but not necessarily violent per se as far as what you see. Like you said, it's on, implied. And I don't know how you felt, but when I watched Halloween 2, I was really I was really kind of surprised at how much, you know, I don't know, blood and gore there was in this, especially in contrast to the first one. Yeah, they, they definitely, as they say, turn it up to 11 um, with for 1981, like in you know, those big pools of blood and definitely like, you know, slitting of throats and things like that that are very uh, not implied, very in your face. And I think that's one of the jarring things about, you know, the contrast of the first one and the second one is like if, if you consider this kind of a continuation of the first film, it's like tonally it's very different because it's very much has way more violence than the first one. Well, not violence, but like on-screen violence. Right. And does it surprise you that that on-screen violence in the second one was actually put in by John Carpenter? Yeah. And, I, and I, the reason why I say that is, I mean, it's it's kind of, if you do some research about it, um, Rick Rosenthal's version of the film was kind of considered too tame for John Carpenter. So Carpenter went back and shot some of the gory scenes that were added into the film, despite Rosenthal kind of objecting to it. I mean, knowing that, I mean, does, does that make sense to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I can see. I, I mean, I don't know what what was his reason behind. He thought it was too tame. I mean, the like we said, the first one kind of seems kind of tame now too. So I don't know. Maybe back then he, I, I don't know. I, I don't understand why Carpenter would direct the first one and have it kind of be a little tamer and then to come back with this one and kind of take someone's film um, that he's not directing and then come in and say, no, we need to make this gorier. I I don't understand that. <laughs> yeah. I did, that doesn't make sense to me either. I mean, um, because I, I'm not that Rick Rosenthal in any way, shape or form is as good a director as Carpenter, but I find that, you know, I don't know, footnote a little fascinating that he wanted to, well, like you said, the, the second one is mimicking a little bit of the style of the first one. And it seems like Rosenthal was really going to do that with his sequel. But um, Carpenter goes in and says, nah, this is too tame. We got to put some gore in there. Would, I, I, to me, that just goes against what Carpenter had set out in the first one in terms of creating an effective um, thriller, scary you know, movie, etc. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, was there three years be between these films, the first one and the second one, or two years, 78 and 81? You know, and, and we know through film history that after Halloween, there was a lot of clones of Halloween. And so maybe by the time Halloween 2 got around to shooting, they were noticing that, you know, all these other movies were kind of stepping up the gore factor, and they had to to, to keep up with the Joneses, you know. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, it had a it had a much bigger budget than the first one, obviously, because I think this one was like three and a half million. And, you know, it wasn't as successful as the first one in terms of how much it made versus what it cost. But it was still successful because I want to I want to say it was the highest grossing film horror movie that year. Um, and I, I may be just shooting from the hip here and be totally wrong, but I want to say it it cost three point five, but it still made like north of 20 million. Uh, Forty seven. 47. Oh, well, there you go. So, yeah, it was extremely successful, um, which obviously a year later, you know, because uh, Carpenter and Deborah Hill both said that after two, Michael Myers is dead. You know, 
Sam Loomis is dead. That story's over. We're doing Halloween three and it's going to be sort of an anthology, uh, type series now where each year is a different story. Um, and obviously three was, was a bomb because it didn't have the Michael Myers, uh, iconic figure in there, the shape. Yeah. And like I said, everything after two for me is pretty, I guess, forgettable. Like, I, I don't know. You, I, I think someone could put on um, Halloween, you know, four, five, and six and ask me which one is which. And I would have a hard time, you know, depicting which one was what. Right. Um, what about H2O? Do you, <clears throat> do you like what they did with H2O of just basically bringing Jamie Lee Curtis back, saying nothing happened in between Halloween 2 and Halloween H2O and then picking up the story there? Yeah, you know, I, I, like, I, I like Jamie Lee Curtis, um, you know. Now, um, who was the, who was in that film? Um, God, what, some, uh, was an LL Cool J. J. Yeah. yeah. Now that was, that was the part where I'm like, all right, eh, I could do without this, but there is a young Joseph Gordon-Levitt in it too. So mm-hmm. all is forgiven. But these, uh, I remember H2O, um, you know, seeing that one in the theater. I think that was the first time I actually got to see a Halloween film in the theater, um, you know, being that I was like 15 at the time. So, yeah, I mean, it marks a special point because I actually got to see a Halloween film in the theater for the first time. So, OK, Brad, then why don't why don't we wrap this one up? What are your final thoughts on Halloween, Two? You know, I, I like Halloween, Two. I think its biggest fault is it a it tries to be um, Halloween um, like the first one. Um but the changes they do make, I don't feel keep it enough to be Halloween. Like they, they try so hard to make another Halloween. Um, they change the location. It's basically just a hospital now instead of in houses. Right. Um, well, and yeah. I, I think there was a draft originally it was supposed to take place in like an apartment complex or something. The more I read about it. Yeah. I don't that, know how uh, I felt about that. Yeah. And I, the, this particular setting, I mean, that has to be the most barren hospital ever. Nothing must go on in Haddonfield, but uh, yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. like three people working or four people and one patient. Yeah, on Halloween night, too. I mean, right. which I've almost, you know, burned my hand off on Halloween, so, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I like it as a continuation of the first film. Um, Halloween, the original, um, blows this one out of the water, if you ask me. Um, oh, sure. I don't even think this one holds the candle to the first one. And I think um, that's his biggest fault is the first one is so good and this one is just okay. So there's really not a reason to watch this one. If you're just going to watch one of them, you're always going to go the first one. So, you know, but it, it's a good movie. Um, if you want to see the, con- the story continue on, then, you know, I, you, you can't go wrong. I mean, it's not a terrible film. Um, it's just not the first one. Do you, I mean, do you consider it in terms of sequels now comparing like Halloween two to other sequels and any other franchise horror, whatever, do you think it's a good sequel? Yeah, I, I definitely do. Um, Friday the 13th part two is my favorite sequel because, <laughs> uh, you know, it actually has Jason. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, and it was successful for what it wanted to do. Like, you know, they, they made a film and it made, you know, money and Carpenter got paid and 
everyone was happy and there's really not um it's not offensive really as a fan of the series um, sure so I, I can deal with all the stuff they did um i just wish uh if they were going to keep it you know like the first one as much as they were going they seemed like they were going to try i think you know moving up you know putting more blood and you know more graphic you know uh uh, picking up the, the violent graphics and stuff like that. Like, I don't know if that's necessarily what makes um, Halloween Halloween. Like, I, I always go to, you know, scenes in the first one where you think Michael Myers is dead and he's in the background and he sits up and you're just like, oh, shit. There's like not that oh, shit moment in, in two, which I think is kind of offensive in a way. <laughs> there's not. I mean, there's really not that oh, shit moment. No, you're, you're right about that. I mean, um Halloween 2 is a decent sequel. I, I don't think uh, – to me, it kind of the, – the direction it went with the whole sister thing sort of demystifies the, the first Halloween and turns him into Michael Myers rather than the boogeyman or the shape. Um, but I do like certain things in the film. I mean, I, I love Donald Pleasance. I've, I've always – you know, he Donald Pleasance has always done great work in film. But um, I know he became popular with everybody as Sam Loomis, and that's for a reason, because he plays that character so well. And obviously, this was a career maker for Jamie Lee Curtis. She's really good in this film. There are, there are a couple of scenes in here that I really do like, like the kid who's going into the, to the hospital because he's got a razor blade you know, from an apple. Um, I think there are some subtle things going on in this film to kind of show you how dangerous Halloween can be. And um, sort of plays with a little bit of those, I don't, I don't know, mythos of, you know, people out there trying to harm children and stuff. I like those little touches. Um, it, it is no way, in any way, um, equal to the first one. And obviously there are some things about Halloween 2 that doesn't necessarily make sense timeline-wise or even canon-wise when, when really studying the first film. Uh, but, um, it, it's a decent sequel. And I think if you see the first one and you just turn around and watch the second one, it's a fun watch because it feels like one big story arc that comes yeah. to a conclusion. Yeah. Um, yeah, but the, the way it plays off the, the first one is also, it's a positive and a negative because you can kind of see how drastically better the first one is than that, than the second, basically half of the film. If you consider them one giant film. Yeah, and, and the first one to me is extremely scary, whereas the second one is kind of a fun slasher film, if if you can say that. I mean, it just it's got some you know inventive things that happen. It's not really gory, but um, it it never really ramps up the tension and has that. Oh, I, I agree with. You. I think the best comment about this film was what you said that you know it doesn't have that oh shit move, yeah, moment. Yeah, the, the tension the tension is totally gone in this movie. I think the one part where there's tension is where the guy's head falls on the horn in the car. Right. And you're like, oh, like he's going to, you know, that's like the only part where I ever felt like that, that tense moment. And, you know, and, and Carpenter's like the man at tension. And I guess, you know, Rosenthal is not because it's obvious. <laughs> and I, I wonder if Carpenter saw Rosenthal's, you know, version and said, okay, here's a guy who put a film together that doesn't have much tension. They can't go back and reshoot it. And, you know, I got to imagine Carpenter is smart about the movie business. And so he probably the reason and, and again, I don't know, I'd, I'd be curious if somebody does know. Um, but maybe he went back and just said, well, this thing won't sell as 
it is, so I have to go back and put some gore shots in there and and make it a slasher film because that's what's out on the market right now. Yeah, that that's probably very, very true. Like, I, I, I would buy that. As far as a rationalization, sure. Oh, yeah, well, definitely. They just released um, – Universal had put out a 30th anniversary edition on Blu-ray. The interesting thing about this Blu-ray, it has an alternate ending – um, the alternate ending is basically um, when they put her in the ambulance, which an interesting fact about Halloween 2, this is the only Halloween film to show the morning after the 31st. Every other movie ends on Halloween night. Um, but when they put Laurie Strode into the ambulance, the alternate ending is that um, Jimmy is in the ambulance too, and he actually survived the night as well. So in, in the theatrical cut, you don't know. You just you assume he's dead. Oh, okay. Um, but the cool thing about this, uh, Blu-ray as well is it comes with another movie. There was a theatrical sort of compilation film about horror films called Terror in the Isles. And it had, you know, it's hosted by people like Donald Pleasance, Jamie Lee Curtis, stuff like that. And it, and it's more like a best, uh, you know, greatest hits of horror films up to that time in, in the eighties. And it's a fun little documentary that just, you know, talks about horror films and talks about people going to horror movies. And uh, like I said, it played in the theaters when it originally came out. I don't have the year in front of me, but um, if you can find this Blu-ray for, you know, 10 to 14 bucks, I think I picked it on Amazon for 13 bucks. I'd highly recommend getting it if you like Halloween too. Um, if anything, to get that terror in the aisles um, movie, because that has never been released on DVD to my knowledge. Huh. And, and, and one last thing to note, um, you know, not that this is like the end all be all, but, you know, this film was not, you know, it did not um, critical reaction to it was not very good. It was it was panned um, from a lot of people, especially Robert, Robert Ebert, Roger Ebert, Robert, Roger <laughs> Ebert, you know, who said just what we said. You know, it, it it's like a rip off of Halloween, but, you know, it tries to outdo all the violence and stuff like that. So, you know, so we. We basically nailed because I didn't read that review. So, and that guy's getting paid how much? A lot, a uh, lot of money. Of course, horrible. he's you know Roger Ebert. So yeah, maybe one day. <laughs> we love you, Roger Ebert. You're awesome. All right. Well, how about we take a quick break and um, you know deal with another franchise um, from the the Far East, specifically the Ring franchise, and uh, talk about 1999's Ringu Two. You up for that? I am. All right, well, we'll take a quick break, and then when we come back, um, we're going to do part – oh, man, I'm kind of sad because this will be the last movie of uh, Spooktacular, Spooktober. Spooktacular, yes. Spooktacular, yes. Spooktober. See, I'm, I can add to it. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Ringu 2. All right, I'm here with Bill Byforce and Mr. Chris to tell you a little bit about Outside the Cinema. All right, Reverend Scott, take uh-huh. us to church. Uh, what can we expect to find from a typical show? Two hours of just random blabber. <laughs> uh, is there anyone's coattails you wrote in on to popularity? I'm the guy that fucking burns the coattails and then pisses on them. You review all these exploitation, <laughs> horror, comedy, cult, and often all-around terrible movies. You must have a strong driving force that keeps you going. Ego. <laughs> I don't know if I've heard you say that before. Uh, yeah, I've been saying that for a while. Really? I have been saying that for a while. Also, I'm high on smack. Well, it's definitely working for you guys. Yeah. People are coming out in droves to support you on iTunes. We just the other day got a, a, a one-star review on iTunes. Well, that is one That is one star too many. <laughs> Let me tell you. The worst fucking piece of shit I've ever heard. This has been great, guys. Thanks, Scott. Ugh. 
That was good. Oh, he's got you crying over there. Uh, I'm good for the rest of the year. Nice. That was too much. Welcome back. And I, I, again, I'm kind of saddened, Brad. This this is the last film for Spooktober. After this, this officially, it. we're going to be out of Scary Movie Month. Um, I, I man, I've had a good run. This is this has been a good, you know, four shows. Uh, got to say that I've kind of opened my eyes to some things that I probably wouldn't have watched had we not done this podcast. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna end it. I think with a bang. Of course we, of course we had to end it with a foreign film. Of course. Yes, we did because you know this is the pretension, um, and uh, we're going to talk about a very interesting franchise, specifically the Ring franchise. What do you What do you know about the Ring franchise? Uh, specifically, Ringu or Ring that we know it here. Well, let's point that out. I mean, it's um, it's got. Four films over there, which is Ring, Raisin, Ringu 2, and Ring Zero Birthday. And it was also, I believe, a television series over there. And, of course, all of this was based on a book. And then it was so popular over there, they remade it over here with uh, Naomi Watts. And it was The Ring. Very, very successful. And and that was the film that really paved the way for um, Japanese horror remakes in the U.S. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously we got The Ring 2 over here, which, um, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't that also directed by Hideo Nakata? I think so, and it is an abomination. Okay. Um, what what are your thoughts about this franchise? I mean, the, the canon in and of itself. Do you think it's I, a franchise? Or? I love the mythos um, that they set up in this um, series um, mm-hmm. with the whole film and, you know, watching it, and a week later you get a phone call and – I, I really, really enjoy uh, how they set everything up. Um, you know, the girl, the well girl or whatever you want to call her, is very, uh, very scary. And there's a lot of weird stuff going on with the movie. And um, it, it's it's kind of trippy. And I, I really, overall, I really like this because um, I believe um, a lot of this stuff is more psychological um, it kind of messes with your head more than, more than anything. And, Which is your, uh, I mean, when when we started Spooktober, you said that you know Silence of the Lambs is probably your favorite scary movie. Reason being was because of psychological horror. I mean, that's yeah, your forte. Yeah, yeah I, I that, that's what I like. I mean, I like stuff that kind of messes with your head more than, you know, stuff that, you know, limbs coming off and blood and guts and all that stuff. Um, right. So you know, I, I I have to say that the Ring remake. Um, is probably also one of my favorite horror movies. Um, I, I really like that film a lot. And um, it kind of, you know, once I saw that, and, and at the time I wasn't aware of as much foreign stuff as I am now. So, like, it, it was, um, it enabled me to go over and, and find these other films. Um, I've only seen uh, Ringu and Ringu 2. Um, I know Spiral or whatever it's called is actually the sequel, but since it was so bad, they did Ringu 2. Is that correct? Yeah, um, Raisin or, or The Spiral is the actual sequel to the movie Ringu. Um, what they had done over there was uh, they had uh, a lot of the principal actors were in, were in both films. And what they did was they shot, um, they had one director, one you know crew go out and shoot The Ring. 
The other one goes out and shoots Spiral. They release both films at the same time in the theaters in Japan. So you go and see Ring, and then after you're done with that, you just walk right into the next theater and you can go see Spiral. Um, and they thought that this was a, a you know, it, the right thing to do because that particular property was so famous already because of a successful novel, television series, etc. Um, and Ring became a huge success over there. The problem was Raisin floundered and became sort of the forgotten sequel. So a year later, because of Ringu's success and Raisin's failure, you know, the studio said, well, we got to do a sequel. And so we're going to do Ringu 2. And it was released in 99. And they brought Hideo Nakata back to direct the sequel, who was the original director of Ringu. Um, and Raisin just became kind of, you know, forgotten. The interesting thing, though, is um, there, when you look at the book and the story that's laid out in the novels. Um, Ringu and Reizen follow the book. Ringu 2 has nothing to do with to do. Yeah. Yeah, the book. Yeah. So, yeah. And, um, and I actually think that's a super cool idea to like have a film out and then you can literally go from one film and go see the sequel. Um, that's probably the least um, practical way to release two films um, because there's no buildup to the prequel. So that's a horrible way. If you're like a marketing <laughs> person to say, let's do this, do it this way. But it is cool that they tried. I mean, obviously it was a big failure, but I mean, I like the, the attempt. Okay. Well, let's, um, let's get into the synopsis real quick, quick of uh, ring two um, in the sequel to Ringu from 1998. Uh, May Takano is trying to learn more about the death of her boyfriend um, Ryuji. Now, Ryuji was the uh, guy at the end of Ringu. Um, he's the last person to die. You see, actually, Sadaku come out of the television. He dies of fright. She soon hears stories about a videotape haunted by the spirit of a girl named Sadako, who died many years earlier. Supposedly, anyone watching the tape will die of fright exactly one week later. After some investigating, she learns that Ryuji's son, Yochi, is developing the same psychic powers that Sadaku had when she was alive, which is a little girl from the videotape and who was in the well. Mai must now find some way to help Yochi and herself from becoming Sadaku's next victim. Okay, Brad, same question after the synopsis. What did you think about Ringu 2 or The Ring 2? Um, I... Alright, this is not the first time I've seen this film, and I guess um, in my mind's eye, I thought that this film was a lot different than it really was. Um, this movie is very slow and methodical and very um, not as much about the tape as it is about kids. And I, I don't know. I, I always thought that this was a, a different film. And when I saw it this time, it was jarring that I had forgotten so much about it. And I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this one. This one is very <laughs> tough for me because I feel like – this one is really boring. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Uh, it starts out great because um, when the grandfather goes to do – because, you know, it, it picks up right where the first one left off, much like Halloween yeah, um, yeah. too. I mean it's it's sort of like the next day. So they basically have the remains of uh, Sadaku out of the well now, and the grandfather is being brought in to sort of identify the remains, and they make – a discovery um, because apparently she had got 
pushed in the well or trapped down there 30 years ago. 30 years, yeah. And so right within the first couple of minutes of the film, you know, the doctors are examining the remains and they say, well, you know, what's strange about this is um, according to our findings, she only died maybe a year or two ago. Yeah, time of death was like a year or two ago. Yeah. yeah. And so she had been trapped in that well for 30 years alive. And they said like she didn't have any nails, like she bit them off, like she was trying to obviously do whatever she could to stay alive. I guess is that did I remember that correctly? Like she was like she didn't have nails or whatever. No, because that was because she was scratched. Okay, forget. Yeah, that. she was Sorry. trying to get get Sorry. out of the well or something yeah. like that. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, man, that's that's a uh, that particular fact and how it started out the film really grabs you, I think. And then all of a sudden you get the credits, you know, because. You're you're thinking that it was this girl's you know spirit that had been doing this damage for so long, but she had been actually alive in that well. Yeah, alive. Um, and then from there we get really, I don't know, these ancillary characters from the first film trying to find out what happened to the characters of the first film. And and you're right, the it's not so much about the videotape as trying to put the pieces together as far as what happened to. Um, specifically Yochi and his father and mother and, um, you know, trying to maybe unravel the mystery of the videotape and the history of the Because, like, you don't ever get to see the video from start to finish. Right. Like, they show, you know, clips here and there, but you never see the video as a whole. Um, And I always thought that, you know, they showed it, but maybe, I mean, obviously I was wrong. Well, what do you think of the story? You know, I I want to like the story more than I do, but it just seems like it's so, you know, there's investigations and there's, you know, this guy's father was out here and he was scared to death. And for all these people dying of fear, like this movie is not very scary. You know, that, I think that's the thing that I, I come away from. It's like, again, there's, there's no tension. Even at the end, um, there's never, I don't know. You know, for people to be, you know, dying of, you know, fear and, and being scared, like, I, I never was scared while I was watching this movie, or, ne- or was I ever fearful of someone's life? You know, I knew some of these people's time was running out, but, you know, people don't really watch the film, so there's never really much of a countdown for somebody, and I don't know. I, I... Well, there, there's a lot going on in this movie in terms of plot and story. Um, because now you've got, there's too much. Yeah. You've got psychics, you know, uh, my apparently can communicate with Yochi, uh, telepathically to some extent. Um, Yochi is developing some of the same psychic powers that, you know, Sadaku had. You've got people that if they've been exposed to the videotape and pass it on, or, you know, um, have been around people who've been exposed to the videotape. Next thing you know, they can transfer energy and anger um, onto the videotape. I mean, I, I guess they're trying to explain how the videotape in and of itself got created, that it's an energy or force that um, can be pushed onto something because they're showing these uh, experiments with the water that somebody can, you know, look at this water, um, transfer anger to it, and next thing you know, they, you know, they put a piece of paper in and, and the water's being, is going through the paper like crazy. Yeah, yeah, and... I like how they try to ground it in reality. Um, this kind of goes the opposite way of, you know, Halloween two, where it kind of goes away from, well, I guess they kind of do the same thing where they try to humanize, you know, Mike, Michael Myers. And this one, they try to like ground it in, you know, psycho like, you know, 
in somewhat kind of a reality as well. Yeah, it's it's kind of like you know, I guess the best way to describe it is if like the what's the paranormal show Ghost Ghost Hunters? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it would it would almost be like if Ghost Hunters were trying to go after, um, you know, this this mythology of the videotape and trying to explain how energy transfers from a girl in the well to a videotape and then to other people and then sort of the after effects of what happens when you get exposed to this. Um, you know, for me, this movie has a holy shit moment in it. But it's at the first two or three minutes of the film when you find out she'd been alive in that well. Yeah, yeah, that was the same thing for me. Um, you know, I was always waiting for you know, someone to die, like, in a really cool way. I mean, I, I guess, you know, there's that part in the asylum where the TV kind of comes on and all the people freak out, and, you know, th- there's kind of that moment of panic there, but that, I don't know, I just feel like the, the moments in this film are, A, they're too few, and they're B, like, you have to wait so long to have really anything happen. Well, I don't, I don't think anything after the film lives up to the holy shit moment of the first couple of minutes. I yeah. mean, when you, when you find out she had been alive in that well for that long, everything that happens up there, I, I keep, you know, my initial reaction, because I'm kind of like you, I remember seeing this, and as I'm going through the film, I'm like, man, I, I'm surprised at how much stuff I don't remember about this movie. <laughs> and um, But I, I do remember one of my reactions I had the first one was, as soon as the film was over, it's like, man, so you had this information... And you got this big realization at the beginning of the film, but I don't think any of the realizations after that or the new reveals or the plot twists or even how, you know, this movie ends ever leads up to sort of the shock and awe that you get in the first couple of minutes of the film. I mean, it has a fantastic beginning and it got me hooked, but I don't think it went anywhere after that. Yeah, and and the finale, I I think the finale is the biggest gripe I have with this film because it's so they try to make it climactic um, but man does it fail like it, yeah, and it really I, does I don't know what it all means either no I, I, they were talking about you know they needed fresh water and then they go to a pool with right. chlorine like that's not fresh water <laughs> well but I mean so the ghost of the father transfers you know takes all the anger from the kid and they have a confrontation with Sadaku you know, Are you talking the, about the last samurai guy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, pretty much. Um, and then, you know, she whispers to, you know, my, why are you the only one to survive? And then even the very, very last shot is not the ghost of Sadaku, but it's the ghost of a girl who happened to die in the middle of the film. Yeah, yeah, which, you know, and I think maybe one of my problems with this is, like, I don't fully understand what's going on. Um I, maybe I don't pick up on, but it's like, this isn't the first time I've seen this movie, so I feel like I should I kind of have a better understanding, but I don't. And and I don't think it's like out of my league, but I just think it's, I don't know. I think it's just poorly executed. And I don't want to say poorly, because that means that the film isn't good. I don't think this is a bad movie. I just think it's average, and I think that's the biggest problem. I think sometimes having an average film means it's super forgettable. Well, this, you know, I, I hate to be so cliche or trite with this um, analogy, but a lot of people complain about the Star Wars prequels because somebody explains the Force as, you know, midichlorian, you know, bacteria more or less. 
is is what affects it. And that takes, again, some of the mysticism out of what the force is when you go through and explain that it can be tested and you can find people with this, you know, certain, um, I don't know, DNA genetic sequence, whatever you want to call it. And Ringo, Ringo 2 almost does the same thing to where it explains so much and it gives you the reasoning of how this curse happens um, its origination and how to defeat it and all this other stuff or the implications of it that um, there's nothing left to the imagination once you figure it all out to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, did, did, did you want to know any of that information or did you just want to go with it? I don't know. I mean, you know, what I loved about the first one is it made you really make sure that you didn't watch a VHS tape that, you know, you didn't know what it was. You know, because once you see it, then you're you're pretty much screwed unless you, you know, make a copy yourself and pass it on. Um, you don't know why. You know, you figure out um, through the, the first film what the mystery is of who that girl is in the videotape. But, you know, by the end of the film, for the most part, it can't be stopped. I mean, once it's put into motion, you, you've just got to go with it. And I think Ringu 2 tries to go through and explain why this force exists and, and you know... Um, you, you know, they survive at the end, and I don't, I don't know if I technically like that to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah, they they, they beat it, I guess, in a way. And yeah, you know, at least at least some characters beat it, and um, uh, I don't know. The, the, to me, the the, the impact um, of the first film is the fact that you know you've got characters who are just they're locked into this thing for a very long time, and they've got to make a very dire choice at the end of the first film in order to survive, and that's where they leave you. At that film, um, but again, have you seen the actual sequel to Ringu, which is Raisin Spiral? No, I have not. Oh my god, it, it is so confused. I mean, you you think this one, the other one involves, and it's been a while since I've seen it, but I think at some point there's clones, like they end up cloning one of the kids. You know, the the mom and kid die early in the film, and and there's a diary that ends up actually being the cause, not the videotape, and there's a whole conspiracy. I'll say this, what I remember about um, Spiral or Raisin was it felt very apocalyptic. Like, at the end of that film, you just go, well, you know, everybody in the world screwed. This thing was put into motion, and there's no way to stop it now. And now that, you know, you've cloned me or something, uh, I just remember a beach scene, you know, basically uh, it's, it's these characters coming back and saying, um, you know, it's, it's pretty much over. It almost had like, um, this is kind of weird raisin raisins ending or the spirals ending had an ending that was very close to, um, John Carpenter's in the mouth of madness with Sam Neill. Have you seen that? Yeah. Where, yeah, yeah. Where he's sitting in the theater and he's watching the movie about this and it's, and it's very apocalyptic raisin sort of has that same thing, but that, that whole storyline is so out there. Um, I want to go back and see it again because I, I don't remember a lot about it, but I just remember when you get to the point about the clones, I'm like, where in the hell is this thing going? <laughs> uh, I'll say this about Ringu too. It felt like it was a bit easier to follow, but still, I don't know if I, you know, all of the explanation behind it, I don't know if it was boring. It just, it was mildly interesting, but when all was said and done, it was just kind of like, man, you, you, you blew your wad at the beginning, the first couple of minutes and you could never live up to that afterwards. And that was kind of a letdown. Yeah, yeah, I think this one suffers like Halloween Two does. The, the first one, I I think Ringu, the the first one, is an excellent film. I think it's a hundred times better than this one, and this one falls flat when compared to the first one. Right. Well, and you know, very few sequels, and everybody knows this. Very few sequels are ever going to rise to the occasion of its original, 
um, or even surpass it. So, you know, when we sat down and we're going to talk about this, I thought this would be an interesting matchup because obviously you've got two game changers in Halloween and the ring, both for Japan and the U.S., um, but the sequels represent some interesting questions in terms of do they help the franchise? Do they add, you know, something that we as viewers need to see or are going to enjoy in seeing? And I think when we get down to the actual matchup of what we're going to decide, I mean, it, I'll, I'll be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Well, and, and when we talk about the American version, Ring is such a great movie, and that second one is so bad, like, it almost taints the whole series, like the first <laughs> and the second one. Like, it is so bad. I saw, I saw it in the theater originally and wasn't a big fan of it, but I... It, as always, you know, we, we seem to cover something like Nosferatu or whatever. Now I got to spend time to go back and watch Raisin. I want to go watch the American uh, Ring 2. Um, I've never seen Ring Zero Birthday. Now now I really want to go ahead and watch that one too. Which I, it, I also find very curious that if you go on YouTube and you search for Ring Ringu, um, mm-hmm. all the versions are on there in little 10-minute clips. Huh. Well, I bought the... Uh, and I've had this for a while, but the Ringu Anthology, Paramount put it out, and it's got the all four Japanese films. So if anybody can still find that, I got it pretty cheap. And um, it's uh, from DreamWorks Entertainment, and they're all, you know, good prints too. So um, what's your final thoughts on Ringu 2? Um, like, like I said before, I think its biggest problem is it's just an okay movie. Um, and it doesn't blow me out of the water like the first one does. So, like... I don't know. I, I, I just think it's there's not enough going on. It, like a, it, It's not a terrible movie. It's just not good. You know, it, it's average. And sometimes average is the worst thing you can make because there's nothing memorable about, about average. You know? That, that's like, a really good point, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, a great film you remember, a, a terrible movie. Like, I remember everything about Ring 2 because it's so bad. Like, it's hard to get away from it. But this <laughs> one is like, you know, I thought I had seen this film before and apparently I mean I, I had I know I had but like apparently I remembered nothing and you said the same thing like you just remembered nothing <laughs> yeah no I, I man you nailed it that that was a fantastic it this thing is so average that watching it for the second time I had forgotten so many things about it and um, it felt like I was watching it again for the first time but um, yeah it, it's very average I'll, I'll say this there's some interesting concepts going on in this film but I don't know if they're fully realized. And I feel like this movie, they cram so much into it that you don't necessarily get lost per se, but I think some of the reveals, um, they don't have an impact because it's like, here's a piece of information, move on to the next piece of information. And um, I don't know. I just, I don't think it ever recovers from the first, you know, oh, wow factor of the first couple of minutes is my only gripe. But you're right. I'm 100% with you. I think it's very average. Well, you know what time it is then, Brad? It's our last uh, Spooktober uh, matchup. That's right. So let's uh, let's get it on. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. We have two very, very different yet important films um, for the U.S. and Japan. Obviously, they represent sequels to iconic films um it's time to match up halloween 2 from 1981 directed by rick rosenthal 
versus Ringu 2 from 1999, directed by Hideo Nakata. Brad, as always, start us out. Who do you think, between these two sequels, I don't know, does does a better job as a sequel? Um, now, now for me, I think this is pretty uh, pretty easy. Um, now, now I, I'm not saying I don't like Ringu 2, but I, I think Halloween uh, 2 is a much better sequel. Um, they both suffer from the same things as the, the first one is so good, it's hard to live up to that. And when you make okay movies, like, it's even harder to remember them. Um, but I think as a whole, I think Halloween 2 is much uh, easier to watch, uh, much more fun for me to watch. And I think one of the reasons is because it, it it's so continuous after the first film that, like, if I want to go back and watch the first one, I will. And I'll be like, okay, well, I'll just go ahead and go into the second one, too, because it it kind of is a continuation and, and I want to watch more Mike Myers. So maybe, maybe this isn't a pick for the, the sequels is more for like, if I want to watch the first one and then maybe watch the second one, I'll do that. But, um, so yeah, I'll, I'll pick, I'll pick a Halloween too. What the hell? Okay. Um, you know, I, I think these two films, if you were to watch its original and then turn around and put the sequel right in afterwards, I think they make great companion pieces. I mean, regardless of how Ringu 2 is really trying to pack a lot of stuff into that, you know, couple of hours, um, the fact that they used, you know, the same cast, it it does have the same feel to a certain extent in some areas, although Ring obviously brings in a lot more tension and terror than than the sequel. Um, I think they are both average films, but they do represent solid sequel entries or entries in the franchise. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with you on this though. I think Halloween Two is a better sequel. Uh, there's just a, you know a couple of things that set it above, and I want to say there there are certain moments in Halloween Two um, that I think are scary. Not scary in the sense of the original Halloween, but again, I like the subtlety of the kid walking into the emergency room with the razor blade in his mouth. It's sort of a reminder of you know kind of what what sort of world that this film inhabits. Um, and then the other thing is Donald Pleasance. I think he he really brings, I don't know, a lot of presence and style with that Sam Loomis character. And I, as much as I like watching Michael Myers stalking the residents of Haddonfield, Illinois, I like watching Donald Pleasance chase after him. Yeah, agreed. So I'm I'm with you. We're gonna we're gonna go ahead and give the win unanimously to Halloween Two. Well. Um, how about we discuss a little feedback? We actually got somebody uh, who sent us, uh, I don't know, some notes and some some, some, I, some thoughts. What do you think? Hey, I'm I'm happy. I think this is the first time we've actually had feedback, so I'm I'm ready to uh, to do this. Okay. Well, we actually got feedback from a well, she's been a guest on the movie matchup, specifically with me and Fozzie Bear when we talked about um, Final Destination and. Uh, the Chucky series. And of course I'm talking none other than from deadly dolls, glee cast girls on film, the, the very wonderful, charming, elegant, super knowledgeable Emily. She sent us an email and, and the email is, has, has a great title too. It's, uh, Zurich, Zurich I think. And in quotations, it says the internet tells me that means feedback in German. <laughs> okay. So, Hey, fellas, I've been remiss in my feedback duties, but I wanted to send a few compliments to the fine establishment of a podcast you boys, and occasionally girls, have been pumping out. 
Loved hearing such intelligently entertaining discussions on topics that included the awesome that is Clive Owen with a mustache, the true horror of belly button trauma, and Mrs. Troy's sympathies with the characters of Inside. Jolly good times all around. Mostly, I wanted to ensure Troy, special guest star Scott, and Where in the World is Charlie, heed Brad's recommendation to dig into Werner Herzog's adaptation of Nosferatu. I caught it a few months ago and was absolutely awestruck by its visuals, performances, and sound. Klaus Kinski is brilliantly understated, yes, I wrote that correctly, as the icky vampire. Isabella Johnny's face is ripped out of the silent film area, but not in a gross, sticky way, and Herzog's camera makes extreme love to everything from architecture to a perfectly lit nighttime sky. Plus, there are Playgrats. And really, who doesn't love Playgrats? Side note, <laughs> I watched the German version, which Word on the Street claims is superior to the more stilted English dialogue. The choice is yours, but I did what the internet told me to do and was not disappointed. Plus, apparently everyone at Rebound Radio speaks German fluently, so you're fine anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Other side note, German, you guys learned German in eighth grade. The Midwest is a strange, strange place. Keep up the wonderment. That is you, Emily. The Midwest is a strange, strange place. It is. Um, yeah, I Nosferatu, I think out of all the films that we discussed this month, um, picking up that uh, Kino version of Nosferatu uh, from 1922 was the big find for me. And now it's got me really wanting to go back and revisit that, uh, that Werner Herzog film, too. So and I already I, own I, it. It's just a matter of watching it. And I, and I will say that uh, Nosferatu, that episode in Shadow of a Vampire, I mean, this might be because, you know, we had a guest on that's pretty popular, but that is by far our most downloaded episode by far, like probably two to one. Really? Yeah. That's so, pretty I mean, interesting. You know, it, and it might just be because, you know, it's Nosferatu and the, the matchup, you know, obviously the matchup was great because I picked it. So, you know, I, uh, <laughs> no humility there. huh? No, no, exactly. So like, I think there's a lot of buzz around that in the film itself and in, in, in that episode that we did. So it's not shocking to me that, you know, that's kind of the one people go to right now. So, um, yeah, it, that was fun. And I, you know, I got to say Reverend Scott, uh, who was our guest, he made a lot of good points, and I was surprised at how much he, I don't know, knew about both films and how much love there was, you know, for both those. Because, again, I always thought Shadow of the Vampire was extremely underrated. Uh, but I got I to tell everybody, too, if you want to listen to a great podcast, um, you definitely need to download Gleecast. Um, they're part of the Pal uh, Palaver family. But you can go to iTunes and search up Gleecast and listen to Emily and Erica. Of course, um, always, always visit um, Emily's blog. And she does a fantastic <laughs> job of really picking um, not, I would say, uh, not necessarily quality films to review. Her, her reviews do a good job of maybe uh, scathing some of the movies out there. But she, uh, anytime Emily recommends something, I'm definitely out there to watch it because she has a great taste in, in cinema. Now, you just got done sort of tooting your own horn there, Brad, about how great you are for putting those, uh, putting that matchup together? Yes. Okay. Well, I want to, uh, I want to share some other feedback that we got inadvertently from a Mr. Mike McGranahan. Uh, friend I happen... of the podcast. Huh? Mike... I'm sorry? Uh, friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast. Um, I'm going to plug, uh, his book again, Straight Up Blatant, Musings from the Isle Seat. 
definitely go over to the aisle seat and read uh, Mike's reviews. He does do pretty much anything that gets out in the cinema. But he just had a book come out that is basically talking about film in general. And it, you know, is uh, I'm only, uh, I don't know, 20 pages into it. It's pretty funny. It's got a lot of great insight. But um, last week, we just talked about two films that you absolutely hated, if I remember correctly. Uh, yes, yes. And that would be Dario Argento's Inferno. And House. And, and House. So I wanted to share this little section specifically for you, Brad, and give people a taste of what they can get if they order straight-up blatant musings from the aisle seat. Because i got to tell you, so far from what I've read, I've really enjoyed this book. But I just want to read his little uh, section about House for you. In 1977, Japanese director Nobuhiku Obayashi made a psychedelic horror movie called Haozu, or House in English. It was a hit in his homeland, but never played American theaters until resurfacing in late 2009 at the New York Asian Film Festival. Scattered theatrical showings followed in 2010, and it quickly gained a cult following that grew more after a DVD release from Criterion. House is Austin... <laughs> Quit using big words, Mike. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Ostensibly... <laughs> This is horrible. Use your words. It's my hangover. Sorry. Okay. About a Japanese schoolgirl who takes her friends along to visit her sick aunt, only to find that the woman's home is possessed by supernatural creatures who pick them off one by one. The glory is not in the plot. It's in the way Obayashi uses every old school in-camera optical illusion to create a unique viewing experience. Have you ever had a super high fever and started hallucinating from it? Well, imagine a 90-minute fever dream after tripping on acid, and you'll get some idea of what house is like. In one of the best scenes, a young girl plays piano. The keyboard lid slams <laughs> down on her fingers, chopping them off, yet she continues to play. The piano then consumes the rest of her. Later, a painting of a cat turns evil and spews blood. Another girl is eaten by mattresses. You read that correctly. <laughs> Obayashi made his picture long before CGI, so he finds creative use for vintage tricks. Tinting and painting the images, forced perspective, speeding up and slowing down the film, chroma key, etc. You've seen all these things used in many other movies, you just haven't seen them combined quite like this. House gets weirder as it goes along, which also adds to the fun. This is a movie you have to see more than once, and there's great joy in introducing it to other people, just so you can see their bedazzlement. A fun, funny, whacked-out masterpiece, House is a freak film you won't want to miss. So, I guess you're wrong. Brad. Am I? <laughs> yes. <clears throat> that section actually comes out of uh, chapter five, which is titled My Favorite Freak Films. Um, and again, please, everybody go over to the aisle seat. There's a link. You can order straight up blatant musings from the aisle seat. So far, what I'm into, it's a great read. And, um, you know, I just, after getting done talking about that film and for that to show up in my mail, uh, I ordered it. So I don't have an in with the author or anything. I had to pay just like everybody else. Um, but for what I paid, it, it was definitely worth it. So, well, Brad, should we, should we talk about what's coming up on I, the, really, on the pretension? I'm, I'm really excited. Like I'm really, really excited <clears throat> because I would say horror is more your wheelhouse than mine. Like I do enjoy horror films. Um, but there's a genre that I love beyond uh, most other genres, um, and that's not Quentin Tarantino genre. Um, it is sci-fi, and you and I are going to do a sci-fi-themed um, couple of episodes, four episodes that we have. Um, it's probably not going to work out in a month time frame because we're going to have a special guest in the middle of the month. Um, so it's going to be kind of split up into twos and then have a guest and then finish off. But... Uh, yeah, I, I, I literally 
cannot wait, um, especially for the first week. Um, well, which, let's, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody? Do you want do you want to announce the lineup of what we got? Uh, yeah, let's 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 do that. I'll uh, the uh, it's obviously going to be a sci-fi theme. Sure. Um, the first week uh, we're going to do basically one of the most heralded sci-fi films of all time, Blade Runner, against uh, probably the most popular, probably groundbreaking anime of all time, which is Akira. That's um, going to be a titan matchup right there. Yeah, that 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 right there. I'm marking down is probably like one of my most exciting. Uh, it's going to be one of the most exciting days of my life uh, because <laughs> both no of hi- those no films, hyperbole. Yeah, I mean, literally, both of those films are in my top ten films ever, and like knowing that I'm going to have to choose one is a scary thought. Um, after that, we are doing. Um, what are we doing after that? I haven't written down, but I don't have. Okay, it, uh, well, and the, you know, the, we know we're starting with that one. The other three weeks are going to be interchangeable because um, we've got Alphaville and Dark City lined up, which uh, not not totally excited about Alphaville because that's what a French it's film. French. Yeah, yes, it's yeah, French. Not, not, I don't. I've seen it it's either. Sci-fi so. noir. Okay, yeah, whatever. I Dark City <laughs> wins by default. <laughs> <laughs> um, then we've got. Um, the Matrix and Ghost in the Shell. Matrix and Ghost in the Shell. That'll be uh, you know another anime versus uh, again an iconic science fiction film. Yes. Uh, the last one's got me kind of interested. I've seen both of these films. It's been a little while for one. The other one a little bit more recently. But um, I think you and I, man, we went through a ton of movies uh, because the the first three weeks were easy to kind of match up. This one we wanted to get a little bit more pretentious and I think we came up with a good selection. So you want to announce that one? Um, I'm looking for I, your text right now. <laughs> trying to find what we said. So it was uh, Solaris and we're talking oh, yeah. original yes, version yeah. from and Russia moon, um, from Duncan Jones, Duncan Jones, the moon. Yeah. Now, like you said, Brad, these probably will not be back to back episodes the way we did Spooktober. And the reason being is we're going to take a break and we're working the details out but we got some more feedback um, in the mail this week, specifically from director Michael Neal. Uh, his latest outing was he released a film called Drive-In Horror Show. He sent us some email requesting to actually be on the show, and he gave us a list of um, movies that he thought would make good matchups. And one particular matchup popped up and was just perfect, especially with bringing Michael on the show. The week that Michael comes on, and again, you know, Michael's super busy. He's making films. He's doing things out of Boston. Um, but the the thing we're going to set him up with is we're going to talk about two documentaries, the first of which is American Movie, and the second one is Anvil, Story of Anvil. So yes. I thought that was a fantastic choice. because And to have Michael on, he's not only a um, horror movie director, much like the uh, subject of American Movie, but um, Michael has also directed documentaries, so yeah. we're not. I mean, I, I'm super excited about that episode. Yeah, and I, you know, for him to 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 request to come on is a is a huge honor. Like, it's awesome that he feels strong enough about our show to say, "Hey, let me come on." You know, we didn't. He reached out to us, which yes. kind of makes me feel kind of good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he is a friend of the show. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
I but, was going to leave that part out because it sounded cooler that you know he came to well, us. Well, yeah, but I mean, we we have a lot of friends of the website in the show, um, and like I said, it was fun to uh, have somebody kind of not just give us feedback, but then turn around and say, I want to be on the show, and I think these would make good you know movie selections. And I would encourage anybody who downloads this podcast or listens to this podcast, send us an email. If you've got a good matchup or you got a good theme that you want us to tackle or movies you want to hear us talk about. Um, heck, if you want to be a guest, by all means, um, you know, send us a line. We'd love to have you. I think the cool thing about Movie Matchup, The Pretension, is it's already slowly becoming not just something of you and I getting, you know, on the Internet talking about films together, um, but we're starting to build a little bit of a community that wants to talk about these unique films um, that are foreign, you know, global, um, I don't know, it's old classics. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a lot of fun. And I, I'm... I'm discovering a lot of films that I probably would not have sat down to watch on my own had, you know, you not prompted me to sit down and watch it, you know, especially anything from France. <laughs> but uh, uh, Bad grades come back to haunt us all. I know. Well, why don't you uh, give everybody information on how to contact uh, how to contact us if they want to do so? Okay. Um, obviously, um, our email – not obviously. Obviously, <laughs> uh, we were – on reboundradio.com, which is our website, which is basically a podcasting network. Um, there's about eight to nine shows on there right now, um, all quality stuff that you should listen to. Um, uh, you have another show with Charlie called Movie Matchup, the regular one. Um, right. um, Charlie and I have on a little bit of a hiatus from our show, but we're, we are going to try to do that one again. It's called Good Day, Sir. Um, if you want to leave us feedback here, um, that uh, email address is moviematchup at gmail.com and we'll take you know your ideas for uh, matchups and you know requests to be on the show and you know all that stuff you know just telling us how great we are because my ego uh, needs to be filled and Yes, and, and feedback, I, I feedback can't do it that. enough. <laughs> yeah, Joy's, <laughs> Joy's not cutting it. So um, yeah, and um, Rebound Radio is on Twitter. It's uh, at Rebound Radio. I am on Twitter at Inglorious Brad, and Troy's is uh, at Yin Chen Troy. So um, you can you know get us there. Um, you know we might start you know tweeting out. Um, I try to. I know you did today about when we're going to record, and maybe people can you know send us a little bit of feedback there real quick. Um, that's always really easy too. So. Well, and uh, I got to tell everybody, I can't encourage them enough. Write in, tell us what you want to hear. Um, we've got a little bit of a roadmap. Like I said, we wanted to do science fiction films after we got done with Spooktober, and we came up with that list. But um, this list also, uh, movies like Moon and Solaris, um, Moon really came about from Reverend Scott sending us a suggestion uh, yeah. about covering that one. So, again, we really want this show to not just be about what um, Brad and I uh, want to sit down and see, but we really like the idea of even somebody like Michael coming in and saying, "Hey, this is a great matchup. Let's do these films." I've seen American um, American movie. I've never seen Anvil. Oh, Anvil! Oh, I love that movie. It's yeah. it's, it's an interesting movie. Yeah. I but, mean, and and what are your? I mean, are you are you a documentary guy? I mean, do you like documentaries a lot? I really only started appreciating documentaries after I saw American movie and I got a chance to see that in the theater and all of a sudden it was like wow here's here's a film that uh, was good and usually and it's a documentary so I need to go back and go through some classic documentaries 
because I'm just not that well versed. And you know, we're getting ready to talk about Japanimation. Now, I've seen Akira and I've seen Ghost in the Shell. Um, probably my favorite Japanimation is City Hunter. I just I love that, and obviously it has some connection to the Jackie Chan movie too. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm not that well versed in Japanimation, so I think yeah, that's kind of my. I mean, we you know, you and I both have our strengths and weaknesses, and that's you know, kind of what I offer us is that that anime, you know. Japanese cartoon style, you know, that's where I kind of come in. So, you know, it's, it's good that, you know, you know certain things, I know certain things, and we both can kind of play off that. Yeah, and, and hopefully if anybody thinks that they're an expert on anything that we have coming up, man, shoot us an email. We'd love to have you on. So we, I think we've already got one guest lined up for uh, Blade Runner and Akira. Uh, hopefully that comes to fruition. But if anybody else uh, wants to jump on, let us know. Um, real quick, I do, and I can't say this enough, I want to plug uh, Mike McGranahan's book, Straight Up Blatant, Musings from the Aussie. Go to theaussie.com, order it. You know, Check out his writings, too. Um, Emily, thank you so much for the feedback. Go to, and everybody, please. Uh, I just pulled up my phone and looked at what websites I had saved, and it is deadlydollshouse.blogspot.com. Everybody needs to get on there and read everything she puts out. It's fantastic. Emily and Erica have sexier voices than Troy and I, so it's a much uh, easier listen. <laughs> yes, GleeCast is is fun. Even if you don't watch Glee, um, you need to listen to GleeCast. They're they're terrific to listen to. And every once in a while, they will um, do um, movie commentaries with Fozzie Bear uh, from the podcast podcast uh, or. You know, they, they've, I think, covered um, High School Musical and High School Musical 2. Those are fun if you can download those from iTunes, but definitely check out those two. Uh, you know, maybe um, send them email. To me, I can't encourage anybody enough that if you like what you're listening to, uh, send some email and let us know and let anybody else you listen to know as well because the show only gets better once you get feedback. So I yeah, can't encourage yeah. that enough. And, you know, another thing. A way people can help us out is going to iTunes and, you know, rating us and leaving yes. a review. That good. always helps a lot, too. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Well, it saddens me to say. Yeah, you've been, you've been trying to delay the ending of this show. Right? I am. I'm just, I'm depressed. I don't want to, I don't want to leave Spooktober, but, you know, one more day of October, get the trick or treat tomorrow with the kids. I'm kind of excited about that, but, uh, I got to thank you for an awesome run in October. I'm looking forward to our sci fi month. Yeah, it's uh, it was been a lot of fun. I uh, I enjoyed uh, most of the movies we saw. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's that's uh, that's a good you know you can't like everything, right? No, I mean no one hits a thousand, so. Well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's time to say goodnight, So um, good night, folks. Good night.